0: Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top.
1: Hey, everybody, it's me, it's Edwin, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Business Leadership Podcast episode 29 and i'm really excited to share the conversation i had with kirsten stewart the chief strategy officer at diply a content platform with over 1 billion monthly video views and 34 million monthly unique visitors her previous roles include vice president of media at twitter overseeing north american partnerships executive vice president at cbc's english services where she oversaw the network's English language radio, television, and digital programming and operations. Most recently, Kirsten was named McLean's List of Most Powerful Canadians, just two places behind Justin Trudeau. To Toronto Life's list of most influential Torontonians and to Canadian Business's 2015 list of top 50 most powerful business people in Canada. She is also author of the national bestseller Our Turn. A business book that looks at opportunities for leadership today. It was great hearing her journey from the bottom as a Girl Friday to leading national media organizations to international internet companies. Before getting started, I want to thank my media partners, IT World Canada, for their support of the podcast. Now enjoy the show. Kirsten, welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this chat.
1: Thank you. So, Kirsten, before we just jump in, let's let's get started. Let's, if you could just introduce yourself to to the listeners. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are personally, and what you like to do when you're not growing or leading uh, businesses.
0: Sure. So, um, my name is Kirsten Stewart, and presently, I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for a company called Diply, and I'm excited to be at Diply because it's a Canadian company. It brought me back to Canada to take this job because in the last few years, I have been down in the States running North American business for Twitter and media partnerships in particular. And before being at Twitter, I was the head of the CBC. So I've worked for many, many years in media. Uh, Before the CBC, I was at channels like ACTV and Food Network, Running those. And before that, I had been in distribution for a number of years. So I've always been in content, but now that technology has come along, I've taken advantage of the fact that it has kind of moved the direction of how people consume content. And I have then moved myself to align with it and uh, try to stay ahead of it a bit. And I'm now on the tech side of things. So making the move from the CBC to Twitter and then from Twitter now to Dipley has been an exciting one.
1: Tell me a bit more about Dibley. I know you mentioned this content, your current role as a, as a strategy, chief strategy officer, and, and what are you trying to accomplish uh, there right now? Sure. Well, yeah. Dibley
0: is an amazing company. I, you know, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I did not know a lot about them until they had reached out, but they actually were working pretty much in stealth mode. They have over the course of the last couple of years, since they've been, well, actually three years now, since they've been in existence, they've done a great job of building this distribution platform on social and they know how to get content in front of people and content that people want and click on and read and enjoy and consume. And they've done this in a very kind of quiet way, but to the point where they're actually the 16th biggest website in North America.
1: That's crazy. Yeah. They're
0: bigger (laughs) than ESPN. They're bigger than New York Times. And there they were sitting in London, Ontario. And so when they reached out to me, you know, they know what they'd accomplished up to date, but they also knew that they kind of needed some extra help to get the push to go to that next level and that meant understanding more about content, understanding more about their audience, and presently I'm working with a team of people there, there's about 200 people who work at Dipley uh and really putting forward a new strategy for focusing in on all the great content they've been able to deliver all these you know these past couple of years and really refining it, honing it, taking it up a level and delivering it, you know, beyond social. So it's an interesting time for Diply, and I'm really happy to be a part of it because it's nice to see a Canadian company Actually, when you get to deeply content through social, you don't even know where they're from.
1: I was actually going to mention that uh, coming into to this interview to meet with you. I knew the name just because I'm on the tech side, but I never knew what they did. Yeah. And it's amazing. And you just said it. I probably watched many or read many things from them, correct? Absolutely,
0: yeah, and it's because they reach it. Reaches, like, for example, we had a billion video views. We had a billion video views last month. And so it's, you know, the the volume of content that goes through Diply is really impressive. And that means it understands what people want. And so the question is, how do you create a relationship with those viewers and users and, and people who are consuming the content online and create the content for you in a way that kind of takes it to the next level?
1: So it's very interesting with Dipley, and the more I understood it and sort of your history from the broadcasting. Dipply is a little different shift from even Twitter where Twitter has the distribution, but they didn't create the content. Mm-hmm. Now you have the distribution and the content. It's almost like full circle, it but, but yeah. a shift up. Yeah. How are you taking that or is that something that you planned?
0: It is It is. I think the natural part of the evolution of as we're seeing content move and shift and distribution platforms move and shift. So, you know, being with broadcasters for a number of years, I understand, you know, that was the only way by which you could reach people. Uh, You had a linear form of broadcast, which was one person had control of the platform and they sent out on a 24-hour basis, but one after one, different forms of content. And there was no sense of interactivity. There was no real-time nature, except for, you know, when you're dealing with breaking news or sports, but ultimately it was kind of a planned one-way communication source. Then when Twitter came along and other platforms like it, it kind of blew it up a bit. Like it kind of made an opportunity for user-generated content, for UGC to be much more prevalent, YouTube, all of that. You know, it's it's made this sense of understanding that you don't need to have a full set studio to create great content, like where we are here today. Like the, the fact that we can do this um, and technology is so prevalent and and accessible to people with talent, that means they can do things with it that used to be kind of kept for a certain kind of people who could afford to do so uh, and have the backing of big broadcasters. Now it's different. People can pick up microphones, cameras, work on whatever way they want to and and create. And so these platforms now become, they understand that they can't just be a place where people bring their content. They actually want to help motivate creating the content, cult curating it, cultivating conversation around it. And I saw some of that at Twitter. We did you know, some great work there. Uh, and you can see it go that much further with a company like Diply.
1: No, it's great. And it's something that just came to my mind without without naming any names. I mean, it seems to be the shift where these platforms are are creating studios and, and creating TV shows and yeah. movies. Yeah. And is that is that where you see the trend as well now?
0: Absolutely. Like, I think people we don't have a lack of content anymore. There's certainly so much content. Now the question is, how do people find it? And what I liked about Diply is they had this way of surfacing content, knowing what was viral, knowing what was going to be popular and getting it in front of people so that it created that system of of, of making sure that content was seen. And, you know, because I think we have this huge opportunity now when you don't have these set linear channels that have a kind of prescribed way of delivering content to people one moment at a time. Now that you have like the net is limitless. So you have so much content, so much ability, you now have the question of creating customized curated content in a way that delivers it to people and gives them what it is they truly want. So we've gone from linear one show at a time, very one way communication style to way too much almost uh, content that can't be and the good stuff couldn't necessarily be found. Uh, It it could get buried to a new world where we understand better what people want in terms of their interest and what they want to consume for content. So why don't we match that want and need to the right content and deliver it to them? So there's that it's, it's like you said, coming full circle, but in, it's like that circle has evolved into like forget two It's like you know x times two. You know it's 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 amazing what we can do now.
1: It sounds like uh, some of the secret sauce that Diply has is is really harnessing that viral effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, outside of a lot of marketers, I know a lot of people who are trying to get their message across. You just end up. Going the regular advertising way, uh, buy ads, or it's pay, pay Facebook or the Twitters yeah, or, or yeah. whatnot just to get in front of the face. But mm-hmm. I think I think that puts Diply in a very special. And I didn't know. Much of this. So that's amazing. And I, I love felt the it.
0: same way when I saw, it, when I got to see this, I thought, wow, imagine what happens next. So I think this is an exciting time to be here. I can, I can't wait to see what happens because I think it's a, it, it, the team understood really early what people wanted. And that's not easy to figure out. And if you can figure that out, then there's so much you can, so much you can do with it.
1: So, Kirsten, I want I want to just go back because it really fascinates me, uh, especially on the podcast, getting amazing executives and amazing business leaders on the, how people get to where they are, how they had to transform themselves to to make the next step. So, with that in mind, when I look at your career, it's safe to say that you had very eventful one. I mean, you've been known, you've been written about as being the uh, a girl Friday that eventually led companies. So can you share with us some of the key turning points that you encountered and maybe the decisions you had to make that eventually allowed you to grow as a leader you are today?
0: Sure. It's a great question because I think, you know, we see a lot of really great successful leaders and then we hear a bit about their background and we understand, you know, they maybe had certain advantages when they came in. And I know I have a certain set of advantages. I, you know, I still am who I am. I'm born in this country. I'm, you know, there's, there's certain advantages that come with that. But I, what I didn't have was, uh, you know, a lofty Ivy league degree, don't come from a family pedigree that had connections in high places, you know, the kinds of things that, for all intents and purposes, actually did further a lot of people. And that's great because if they used it for good, amazing. Um, But I literally, you know, started from the bottom. When it comes to working as a Girl Friday, which was the actual name of the position that I had when I first came out of university, it meant... Back in the day, I did everything when we were paper-based businesses. I did everything from (laughs) filing to faxing to, you know, and that was my job. I was the receptionist plus, you know, duties as assigned, including changing over the water cooler bottle. So, and that was fun. And I got to see a bit of everything and I liked that. And I think it changes you as a leader when you start from that position and you work your way up. Right. Because you have a chain of bosses for good or for bad. And I think you learn equally from both. Uh, and you learn how you get motivated. You see how your colleagues get motivated. You understand better how the system works when you can see it from the bottom up, I think. And so the transitions I made, it was a partially, you know, right time, right place. It was partially being prepared and keeping my head up and seeing where the next future lies. Uh, and I think the combination of all of that has just put me into this really unique position of being able to have an, a bunch of an amazing, you know, career moments and I think uh you know I'm very grateful to the people I worked with because I think uh, the kind of style of leader that I am is to make sure that I have a fantastic team around me and that I empower them to make those decisions and right. and I think that has benefited me because I don't know all the answers and so to s- assemble great teams uh to not be looking over their shoulder every two minutes, but actually allowing them the freedom and the, giving them the support to thrive meant that I did better too. Like it was, you know, the the, the hope is that you all thrive. And I think that's been kind of the, the basis of how I've been able to work with teams. And then my own ability to keep my head up and look around and spot what that next movement was meant that I was never stuck in a career that actually was going to be diminishing. So I think, The combination of the two, risk-taking and also understanding that it's not all about you but actually empowering the teams around you and and knowing that you're doing something kind of bigger than yourself, I think that combination has been my answer to where I've been able to get to today.
1: You change organizations and obviously your team and responsibilities change along with them. So how did you also adjust uh, to continually grow as that effective leader throughout your career?
0: Well, I think putting yourself in different situations, you know, making yourself a little bit uncomfortable also stretches and grows you, right? So I'd been everything from, you know, the girl Friday working at a maybe 20 person office, uh, you know, over on Spadina, uh, in Adelaide and, and down here, down here in downtown Toronto to, you know, a job where I was for all intents and purposes running the English language part of the CBC where you have, you know, over 5,000 employees from coast to coast to coast. So, then being able to switch from that and take a job at Twitter where I was starting at first their Canadian office here in Toronto. So that was me and a smartphone. And we started with a team of six people, you know, that ability to kind of go, you know, you, you adjust to the circumstances that you're in and you have to be flexible and understand that your role changes in each of those. In some cases, you have a whole team of people in which you can depend on and draw on from resources. Other times the resources are you and, and a couple of other folks around you and you have to to be scrappy and I like going back and forth across that line
1: and you left key executive roles I mean you mentioned it at the start I mean everything from and I probably can't list them all but I know you're working for Alliance Atlantis yep. to CBC CBC to Twitter we mentioned it a number of times Twitter to now Dipley. so these were roles when people on the outside looking in these are roles that are, are, are comfortable I mean you might even actually say you're actually top of the world when you're maybe at CBC or even yeah. at Twitter yeah, yeah, yeah. so <laughs> I really I'm really curious when I was coming in here with that in mind like what keeps you moving?
0: Well, I think it's that sense of again seeing what's next and always wanting to learn. And there is true and you know if if people decide that they can learn and grow in the role that they have and they stay in there for 20 years, 30 years then good, you know, good on them. I just think it's a situation that you're in and that this business in particular moves so quickly uh that I love being at the forefront of all this change. And so even when I had started out and I was like 19 years old in my first job, the difference between what television was then and what it is now, like, I feel like we've been able to live through some really transformative times, kind of like probably people felt like when they were, you know, living in the time of radio to TV and this TV to internet is an amazing shift. And I don't want to miss any of it by being stuck or situated in one place. And I'm only looking through one viewpoint and, and, uh, I think making the decision to move is never an easy one because you really grow attached to the people that you're with and the, and the kind of cause that you're working towards together and fighting for. But after a certain time, you can also tell when you're not contributing in a way that maybe a next fresh person can. And so I think sometimes you have to think of yourself as consistently, Replaceable. Uh, and if you want to make yourself replaceable, that means, you know, building great teams around you and and building a great platform for someone else to come in and kind of take it to the next level. And I don't think you can ever assume that you know you're the last great person to ever have this job. You're actually just caretaking it there for the next great person to have the job. So I kind of like that feeling. I like knowing that it can sustain itself while I'm gone and go and grow even bigger. And I, I think the opportunities I step into are ones that will keep me always growing and and changing and learning, so that you know I'm not old yet, and <laughs> I want to keep I want to keep on the young side. And I think the only way to do that is to keep yourself with new experiences.
1: Um, I really want to know what your takeaway is when you trans- transition successfully to different roles. I mean, you're you're in a key executive position. You're coming from. You know, national organizations to international, yeah, Mm -hmm. internet companies. Mm -hmm. Like, what are the key steps that you take when you're transitioning into into a new organization?
0: I think it's being ready to learn and understanding that this is your opportunity to learn from the people who are there, but also no one exactly knows what's coming next anyway. Like, I think if you can get yourself overly intimidated by the idea that stepping into something that's brand new, you will be so far behind. Particularly in this business that, you know, you and I are working in right now, it moves so fast, no one knows the answers. So it's great to kind of step in something and understand that you're kind of as behind or as lost as anybody else and we're all just trying to figure this out. So I think the approach being one of openness and, but mindfulness of how quickly we need to learn, I think that's really the great, that's the way you can transition because you understand things are moving, things are changing. Let's be flexible. Let's figure this out.
1: And you're moving into a role that, quite honestly, probably need some type of new direction where it mm-hmm. might, it might have not have been there. Yeah. So, so you have you're to be bringing open. something exactly. with it. Yeah, bring, and
0: understand why you're being hired. Like I think sometimes people get intimidated too, because they believe, you know, there's always that sense of imposter syndrome that can pop up with people. And if people believe in you to put you in the job, then you better show up. Exactly. You, better deli- <laughs> you better deliver and you're, cause you don't just letting yourself down. You're letting all these people around you down, including the people who hired you. So it's, it's, it's your opportunity and it's kind of your responsibility to step up.
1: You're a champion when it comes to diversity and opportunity. I mean, having written a book titled "Our Turn," this book states uh, that the time is now for new styles of leadership, and women are best suited to set the pace. So, first off, Kirsten, thank you for writing and sharing your experience. I have a young daughter now; she's actually 15 months.
0: Very nice. So,
1: yeah, it's it's super important for me to show her that the world now is actually made for her. So, it was I was really happy to read read about all that. So, but with that, can you tell us? What drove you to write that book uh, at the time? I think it was a couple of years ago.
0: Um, A couple of years ago, I was approached by someone after giving a speech at a Rotman's at kind of a group of women had been collected together and they were listening to different um, female leaders from different roles. And it was my day and I was speaking to them and I was talking to them, not necessarily about the frustrations that we all find as, you know, whether it's in whatever way you are not the expected next boss. If you don't look like the boss before, because you're not his color, you're not his gender, you're not his, you know, there's so many reasons why it's difficult to, you know, step into those leadership roles when a certain kind of type is expected. I actually think there's an opportunity now to step into jobs in ways that are different because, there's an expectation that the leadership is going to act differently. And so it doesn't necessarily depend on those that old kind of mindset of a typical corner office guy in a three-piece suit leadership. So the talk that I gave was around those opportunities and how we as people who have maybe been left out of those leadership positions in the past can step into those roles and how I found that helped me as I stepped into leadership roles. And someone came up after me after the um, speech and said, hey, would you like to write a book? And I thought... You know what, I am you know, I would never have thought that when I grew up that I'd be writing a book. I thought I'd be editing books or I thought I'd be publishing <laughs> someday when I was a kid and going through university, but I never thought I'd be writing one. And yet I thought, you know what, if my message in some way helps people and at the same time Lean In had come out recently, then perhaps… You know, lean in was great. It was a call to action, a reminder that we need to step up and, and speak at the table when we have a seat. But there are parts of it that were just disconnected from what I thought was kind of a average person's real life. And I thought if my story in any way gives people ideas of how to deal practically with the situation, then I'm, then maybe this is the best way to get that message across. And so, yes, I wrote that. I worked together with a writer and a really good researcher and uh, we wrote the book.
1: Yeah, and I mean, in the book, you actually state that, um, and I mentioned it earlier that it's a new world order. We talked about it the, the last ten, fifteen minutes. Um, so the new style and the attributes and perspectives that make women uh, natural front runners. So, so why, if you could expand, why do you say that now um, in the book, and, and and how that belief came into?
0: Sure. Well, I think again, you know, times have changed, and I think technology is a big driver. I think generational changes are big drivers where the kind of leadership, well, business success is defined differently now. Uh, when everyone has the power of a smartphone to, you know, regulate their life and have a voice and, you know, people, customers, clients expect a lot more from their, you know, the businesses that they work with. And so as a business, you're trying to serve people, you need to be much more flexible, much more, re, you know, not just reactive, but anticipate people's needs. And that creates a different kind of mindset, a different pace of work. And it, different kind of leadership at the top. So when you look at good businesses today, the ones who understand it, understand that that kind of top-down leadership, corner office, you know, mentality dictating a decision from, you know, on high, doesn't work anymore. You actually need to empower people all throughout a business in order to act quickly and actually anticipate people's needs and move the business at the pace it needs to be at. And there's that generational change, which has people coming in demanding a different kind of work-life relationship uh, and a different kind of you know, value exchange, is not just about the paycheck anymore. It's about, do I feel satisfied in my right. job? Do I feel like I'm doing something? That also creates a different form of structure because you need to give people a sense. They're not just you know, stamping, you know, something out. They are actually working on something that me- is meaningful to them. So those two things combine the pace of business and the change of expectation of what work means. I think has created a need for a different kind of leader. And those leaders tend to have different attributes than they did in the past. Right. They're more collaborative, they're more communicative, they're more. And if you want to say that women tend to be that way, you can, because I think whether it's we're naturally born that way, you could argue, or you could argue that it's because through the circumstances we've been raised and we've had to accommodate and change our personalities or whatever develop those skills because of our situations I think you know that kind of skill set was not necessarily uh, valued in the same way that it is now and so those of us who've had those skills that were considered nice to have but not business imperatives it's switched now so I think there's a room to step up now for people and lead in a different way than they had in the past and that creates an opportunity for different leaders
1: but since launching the book, it's been I think what two, three years now, maybe four actually. It's two
0: year, two almost three years now. Yeah, yeah three you're right. Years, okay, yeah. it'll be three years and uh, the paperback just came out this past spring. So. Oh wow, congratulations! Yeah, thank
1: you. So, have you seen any impact now um, since writing that in the shift of, of women leaders?
0: I found it really fascinating. The because I give a lot of talks based on the book and people. Will, without you know provocation come up to you and 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 you get a lot of great feedback and very early on when the book first came out there were a couple of people within our kind of circle in our business who had read the book as a preview before it went out to public and i got feedback that there were a couple of women who actually changed their jobs they were in the middle of considering changing their jobs anyway um but reading the book kind of gave them a you know a push or a, a motivation or whatever to actually you know make the change right. to give them the confidence to make the change and realize that they weren't alone in thinking what they were thinking that actually there were a lot of people including myself who felt their, the way they felt so it's nice to see the individual stories come out about how people go, you know what, your story is like my story. And if you can do it, I can do it. That's all I really wanted to motivate.
1: So. Mm-hmm. No, and I think it's very impactful, especially when you're getting feedback. And I'm sure when you're doing the talks, um, you probably get an email Mm-hmm. A couple of months down the line, yeah. saying I was at the talk you were and you ma- you made a change in my life. So well, that- and even
0: sitting down with folks like yourself, when I did interviews on radio when the book first came out, it would always tend to be a guy, and but the guy you know might be a guy of color or a different background, or again not the kind of leadership that we had you know typified in the right. past. And he would always start the conversation with because there was a few of them. Um, they they would say to me, "Well, I know you wrote the book for women, but." Because they actually saw something in it for themselves too, which I think is what I meant behind the "our turn" story. Right. Like "our turn" is about anybody who has felt like they haven't been included in this in this idea of what a three piece suit leadership looks mm-hmm. like.
1: Can you share who are your biggest influences uh, when it comes to business leadership?
0: Um, I I take cues from actually the people I work with, and there's you know, great leaders out there like Richard Branson, and you know, there's there's a number of people who obviously set the bar. But what I learn from, and that's why I keep myself opening open also to listening to people who you know are newer in their jobs and and have different perspectives, I find you just learn so much from all the people around you like it's it's you know we again have to move so quickly business changes so quickly um, how people interact with it, whether it's technology, one person can never completely know or understand of course. so I've never liked the idea of having one set mentor and I've never agreed to be one mentor for someone else for that very reason. I can't no one can be all things to all people. And I think keeping a collective of folks that you trust and know and understand and they can advise you as you move along in your career, whether they're peers, whether they're junior to you, so to speak, or whether they're like people that you aspire to be, I think that's a great collective to have.
1: Fun question, Kirsten. I love to ask this. And a lot of people have different answers or take it differently. But if I were to ask any of your team, your colleagues, your peers... What is the best leadership quality you possess? What what do you think they would say?
0: Um good question. We should ask them. Um I would <laughs> I would say probably my ability to kind of set the stage for them to to work and to and to thrive and to and to succeed. Like I'm a big I was I tell the story in my book about being let down early in my career by a boss who, you know, we took a risk together and discussed it. And and yet when we made the choice and it didn't go as well as everyone hoped, it suddenly became my fault. I felt like I was left hung out to dry. I never wanted to do that to someone else again. I, you know, again, that, experience of working your way up meant that you knew how you you wanted to be treated so that meant you knew how to treat others and I think how I treat others with respect and making sure that they feel they have the platform to work as they should that's what I hope I bring.
1: Do you have any other special projects initiatives or any fun things that that you're looking towards or you're excited about
0: well I'm I'm excited about some of the board work that I'm doing also because uh, it you know it's great to see what's happening back here in Canada and to see some of the interesting businesses I'm on the board for the score I'm on the board for Wow Entertainment you know and some of these advisory positions that I do on the DMZ uh, and places like that have just you know they really keep you interested and they keep you learning and so I think those kind of projects are really interesting to me the fact that I'm in this kind of time and space in my career where I can you know be at that kind of guidance level and still keep learning I really enjoy that
1: and giving back I mean for those who who are listening the DMZ is an accelerator here out of Toronto that's that's really focused on media so mm-hmm. I, I feel like that. That's a great position for the people who are going through that accelerator and also for yourself to see what's actually coming. Absolutely. You learn
0: as much as you give, right? (laughs) It's almost a
1: good strategic position for for everyone, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I know I could talk for hours about this media, this contest, this technology. I mean, just laughing about the studio that we were in before we started. <laughs> but uh, before we end, Kirsten, I'd love to get some of your final thoughts, some observations. Specifically, I'd like to get some actionable recommendations that you could share for any growing business leader, whether it's in media, within entertainment, that, that, that who's listening today.
0: Yeah, I think it's, you know, keep your keep your dreams alive, I guess, is the uh, the the kind of probably most most colloquial way of saying it but i think it's i think it's a you know what i see very quickly happen is particularly in the tech space which is so focused on what's your exit what's your you know what's your you know are you going to go ipo or like there's so many pressures out there to turn around on a dime instant success that we forget sometimes the investments that are needed to create long term success and stability and it definitely takes a mix of things. Everyone wants to make a dollar. Everyone, you know, we are in this for, for, you know, commercial reasons ultimately. But I think we forget sometimes the long-term sustainability of growth and what we want to do as businesses because we're so distracted or so pointed by others towards the, you know, the next quarter, the bottom line, the and i think we have to start managing expectations better on others and kind of push back a bit on unrealistic expectations around what somebody's going to get out of the market particularly in the tech media space because it's hard to tell this story it's hard to see where the future is because nobody knows what it is but you can tell the underlying value of great content connecting with users like that there is there is still value in that And yeah, the paid models might be different than they were in the past and there's still more to be invented. But don't let that, uh, that kind of obsession, I guess, if you want to call it that, with turning out the biggest buck the fastest you can be the right answer. Because I don't think it necessarily is particularly in something as nuanced as this with everything that's come out of media with fake news, with we've seen how making quick decisions, you know, lets down all all of us.
1: Everyone, yeah. We,
0: yeah, we need, we need really thoughtful change and it takes a lot of people and a lot of guts to say, I'm going to stick in this for the long term.
1: Awesome. So to close, Kirsten, please tell us where we could find more information about you, Diply. And anything you'd love to share?
0: Well, check out Dipply on Facebook in particular. They've got some great Facebook pages. There's three channels as well, Dipply, Delicious, Crafty, and Flawless, which are great to go check out in terms of videos that we make. Um, I have a Twitter handle, uh, at Kirsten Stewart, which uh, isn't Kristen Stewart, because I I often get told what a bad actress I am on my Twitter handle. Um, And you can find me there. Uh, And you can find my book, Our Turn, on uh, both Amazon and an Indigo store across canada so and in australia if you're there
1: great Um, (laughs) yeah and we'll definitely post it on our website as well but thank you again for your time for joining us on the business leadership podcast thank you so much for
0: this chat i enjoyed it very much
1: that's it folks thank you for listening to episode 29 of the business leadership podcast with kirsten stewart it was amazing hearing her story from starting her career at the bottom how she grew and what she does to stay in front of the curve when it comes to media and content delivery. To learn more about Kirsten, Dipley, her book, Our Turn, and all the things that she's up to, please visit the episode webpage at thebusinessleadership.com slash 029. Keep the messages coming. I appreciate the comments, questions, and suggestions. Contact me directly via email to edwin at thebusinessleadership.com And if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you again. And until next time, Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com.